welcome to the Wanderlust Journal podcast, based upon great storytelling. We'll be sharing adventures, recommendations, and tips for the aspiring writer. I'm your host, Sarah Leamy. I am a wanderer since I was a teenager hitching across France. I usually travel alone with dogs and in various vehicles. I'm the author of Van Life, Bring a Chainsaw, and numerous others. And I have a master's degree in writing and publishing, so you are in good hands today. If you'd like to hear more, simply subscribe, stick around, and we'll take you around the world. Hello and welcome. Today we are going to do an episode all about food and what would that be like if we didn't talk about Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. So for those who don't know, this is uh, Anthony Bourdain was a, an American celebrity chef. He was a writer, travel documentary person. Um, he focused on exploring international culture and cuisine as well as putting it in the context of human lives. He was a very down-to-earth, very grounded, funny, charming, um, incredibly well, well-read, well-educated uh, on the, all about food and how people come together and how it brings people together. So I wanted to talk about Anthony Bourdain and give you a little sample from one of his books, because <clears throat> that's what we do here. I read out, read excerpts from different travel books. And so this one is by Anthony Bourdain and it's called The Nasty Bits. And this is from the introduction. I went seal hunting yesterday at 8am swaddled in a caribou. I clambered into a canoe and headed out into the freezing waters of the Hudson Bay with my Inuit guides and a camera crew. By 3pm I was sitting cross-legged on a plastic-covered kitchen floor listening to Charlie, my host, his family and a few tribal elders giggling with joy as they sliced and tore into seal carcass, the raw meat, blubber and brains of our just-killed catch. Grandma squealed with delight as Charlie cracked open the seal's skull, revealing its brains, quickly digging into the goo with her fingers. Junior sliced dutifully at a kidney. Mom generously slit open one of the eyeballs, the best part, and showed me how to suck out the interior as if working on an oversized Concord grape. From all sides, happy family members were busily dissecting the seal from different angles, each pausing intermittently to gobble a particularly tasty morsel. Soon, everyone's faces and hands were smeared with blood. The room was filled with smiles and good cheer in spite of the Night of the Living Dead overtones and the blood, lots of it, running across the plastic. A Bonanza rerun played silently on the TV set in the normal-looking family room adjacent as Mum cut off a piece of snout and whisker, instructing me to hold it by the thick straw-like follicles and then suck and gnaw on a tiny kernel of pink buried in the leather-like flesh. After a thorough sampling of raw seal brain, liver, kidney, rib section and blubber, an elder crawled across the floor and retrieved a platter of frozen blackberries. She generously rolled a fistful of them around in the wet interior of the carcass, glazing them with blood and fat before offering them to me. They were delicious. Words fail me again and again. And there you go. There's the beginning of the story to the, um, what is it? the nasty bits. Isn't that crazy? So The Nasty Bits is uh, a book. It came out. In, the subtitle is Collected Varietal Cuts, uh, Usable Trim, Scraps and Bones. And it was by him. Let's see. by Put out by Bloomsbury in 2006. So I think that's just... Um, just how vivid he is. Uh, if you do get to see the documentaries he put out and various things, you'll you'll see how engaging he is. And 
one of the things I love about his work is that um, he's there as an observer, but he's also part of it. And he's completely not coming from the his own perspective. He's not being judgmental from his own perspective as, you know, yeah, white, straight American male um, coming into different ways of doing things and ways of being around food. He's just fascinated. He finds people fascinating. He finds cuisine fascinating. So I wanted to start with him. So that was Antia Bourdain, The Nasty Bits. So next up, I wanted to read to you from Wanderlust Journal, uh, the anthology from 2020, the wanderlustjournal.com. And this came from the um, collection we put out a few years ago, uh, just before COVID hit. Uh, this is called Russian Tea, and it's by Meg Freer. Brewed with boiling water from the silver samovar, the tea was brought at, brought at any time of day by the provod provodnista assigned to our carriage. We called her the tea lady and admired her brightly coloured Russian scarf. Everyone drank the tea, including my three-year-old sister and me. No wonder we never slept on that train, although it's our first time sleeping on a top bunk. Strong, boiling hot and served in tall glasses placed in metal holders with handles. The tea was accompanied by large rectangular blocks of sugar to take away the bitterness. Two sugar blocks per cup, except children were allowed more. The tea took away some of the chill as well. Every carriage had its own wood-fired stove for heat and cooking. But early spring in Finland is still cold and snowy and the train was barely warm. The steam locomotive was noisy and had a snowplow. It made a big impression arriving in the Helsinki station. We had permission and special visa visas to join a group of those privileged Finns allowed to go to Russia during the Cold War years. People doing business there or families separated from Russian relatives who hadn't been allowed to leave the country during wartime. It was Easter 1972, and we children had a week's break from school and my father and his Fulbright professorship work at the university. We drank the strong tea and ate dark bread, cheese and boiled eggs with our travelling companions, another young American family. Our friend's boy around my age had never eaten a hard-boiled egg before and asked me for help. I showed him how to crack the shell and peel it away. Not liking the look or taste of the white of the egg, he peeled away that away too and was left with the yolk. In the end, he wouldn't eat the yolk either. Although only six, I was shocked at his carefree attitude towards wasting food, and I don't think the tea lady was too happy either. The train chugged through the countryside from Helsinki to Leningrad, not stopping to let anyone off or on, and suddenly it slowed to a stop in the middle of the forest before we had reached the border. To our alarm, Russian soldiers with Kalashinov rifles clambered on board and went through every carriage. Despite having grown up in western Montana, I had not yet seen a gun and certainly not an AK-47. The soldiers walked through the train, confiscating purses, magazines, anything that looked finished, even our toys and coin purses. We held black tears and in Leningrad the soldiers walked back through the train and unexpectedly made us smile as they gave back most of our possessions. Walking into a large hotel in the city, all green and gold inside, with views through large windows of gold and coloured enamel domes everywhere we looked, we stepped back in time to the 18th century. The room was cleaned by a fellow who waxed the dark wood floor every day. And so I like this one. It's just, um, as the last sentence is... I come back to this most vivid memory to this day. The Russian tea served on the train is the strongest tea I have ever had. And I like it because this book came out, like I said, in 2020. By, and that story was by Meg Freer. And it came out in 2020. So she had remembered that 
almost 50 years. Just a moment, a cup of tea in a foreign country, foreign to her country, a different experience, a different taste. And I wanted to like um, just mention that because anyone that travels, there's always a meal. There's always something that if you go out and you want to engage with the local culture, you want to talk to local people or just get a sense of um, something, you step outside of your comfort zone. You don't bring your own food and eat your own food and just stay home constantly. You need to go sit at the taco stand, go talk to the people, see the markets, the food markets. And I just thought that was a really nice little moment. And it was wanted to encourage anyone else that is traveling and that likes to write about it. Here's a writing prompt for you is to think about one of your last trip and a memorable meal or, or a memorable interaction over a meal. So that's that's your writing homework. Let me know. Send it in. There is usually a uh, a place to comment or you can look up wanderlust-journal.com and send something in. All right. So that's one. Let's see. I wanted to also mention, on the other hand, if you don't want to go out and you do want to cook for yourself, here's a little bit of gear for you. Something that I recommend. And it is called the Omnia oven. And it's, um, they describe themselves as a recreation oven for on the stove. And it's a way you can bake, you can use this little thing to bake on top of your stove. And it's kind of fascinating. I got one last summer and I have been using it recently. You can make uh, potato gratin, you can make breads, cheese pie, um, haddock, shepherd's pie, beef stroganoff, uh, cheese pie, bread, rye bread, um, nut bread, focaccia, scones, baguettes. Um, I make cornbread. Uh, what else can this have? They have baked potatoes. They have a recipe book. You can do uh, calzone pizzas, leek gratin, meat pirog, Lancashire hot pot, salmon pie, syrup pie, mud cakes, minced meat, um, mushrooms in white wine and tomato sauce, broccoli cheese, thyme bread, garlic bread. I mean, it's kind of fascinating because the thing about this is that you, it comes with um, four parts <clears throat> and it allows, the way it does it is allows the airflow through the little stovetop contraption. Um, it's kind of in a circle uh, design. So the heat comes through the center and it circulates through and down and around. So it ends up being like a little oven. So you honestly can bake when you're camping. And I've started using this and I've, you know, definitely in various campgrounds and on the beaches when I show up with cornbread or brownies and there we are boondocking. It's one way to make yourself very popular, I have to say. So I recommend that gift. Or I'll put a link in the show notes of the Omnia oven. And, oh, another thing I wanted to do for today, it was just a little short episode today, is I wanted to give you a recipe for pico de gallo. And this is something that I make uh, a lot of for myself because I love doing salads and quesadillas and my own salsa. So this is pico de gallo or salsa. Uh, you will need, you want to chop half a jalapeno, taking out the seeds, don't touch the seeds, um, a handful of fresh cilantro, two Roma tomatoes, half a small red onion, the juice of one or two limes, and you want salt to taste. And so basically you're going to chop the jalapeno, the to tomatoes, onions, 
and into tiny, tiny little pieces, as small as you can, lots and lots of small pieces. Um, cut and add the juice of one or two limes, depending on how moist you want it, add a little salt. And then I recommend that you only add the chopped up cilantro just as you're about to eat it. Um, the best, freshest taste is when you just add the cilantro last minute. And uh, a friend here in Baja, a local woman, Nadia recommended that. She said, you don't want to leave the cilantro in overnight or it just is not, um, it's not as good. So always just add the cilantro as you need it uh, at the last minute. So there you go. There's your little pico de gallo. And we're going to find one more excerpt for today. Just hold on a second. And last off today, I wanted to let you know about, um, let's see, it's called flightsandfoods.com. And this is Takera. And Takera writes, I help small businesses in the hospitality industry raise awareness about their services. I started blogging after getting questions from family and friends about where to eat when they travel. I love to travel with my husband and we share our experiences. But I would never have thought that blogging about food and travel would allow me to gain the trust of an audience and explore my love of photography. My mission is to explore dynamic sites, delicious food and create great content along the way. Ever since I was a child, I was fascinated by photographs. My favorite pastime was lying on the floor, family, thumbing through pages of family albums. Till this day, the one of the things that brings me the most joy is pulling out those albums and remembering all the family stories behind every photo. My foodie journey allows me to build relationships with fellow foodies, restaurant owners, chefs. My travels extend from the east to the west coast of the States, from the Caribbean to Central America, all the way to Europe and Southern Asia. My mission is to explore these foods and to let you know about them. So I wanted to give you a little bit from her trip, from one post that she has about going to, <clears throat> to the Caribbean through Carmela's Kitchen. And so I'm just going to read a little bit from her, from her Caribbean recipes and see if that gives you some inspiration. And again, this is Takera from flightsandfoods.com. So through her, I discovered uh, another, let's see, where is it? Hold on. <laughs> I discovered another founding father of American cuisine, another um, chef and person that we should hear more about. Um, so Takara has an article, a blog about James Hemmings, and it's called A Founding Father of American Cuisine. And this was a recent post in February 2023. So I'm just going to give you a little bit from this and let's see. So James Hemming, Ghost in America's Kitchen, explores the life of James Hemmings, a black chef born into slavery in 1765. In a time when black people were seen as property, the Ghost in America's Kitchen sets out to recognize that there was a group of people who performed at a very high level, says Tonya Hopkins, a food historian. Hemmings was a brother-in-law to Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States. Jefferson mar married Martha Wales in 1772. Hemmings was inherited by Martha after the death of her father, John Wales. Born of the son of an enslaved woman, Elizabeth Hemmings and John Wales, Hemmings was Martha's half-brother. As a teenager, Hemmings was Jefferson's personal attendant. His career as a chef began with a trip to France when he was summoned by Jefferson. His studies of the culinary arts led him to become the head chef at Jefferson's residence, known as the American Embassy. 
While in France, Hemmings became literate in the French language. And according to the French chef Jacques Pepin, it was amazing for him to make the complexity of the food and run the team in the kitchen in that little amount of time in another language. There is a lost generation of African-American chefs and the nation's cuisine is the poorer for it, is the quote from Jacques Pepin. So there's a society now called the James Hemmings Society, founded by Chef Ash- Ashbel McElveen, sorry for mispronouncing that, and it is dedicated to serving, unearthing, and illuminating the significant contributions of James Hemmings, along with the countless other under-acknowledged food and drink professionals of African descent through the American history. Chef Ashbel comes from a family of cooks, including his mother, an executive chef. And as you watch the story of Hemmings unfold in Ghost in America's Kitchen, we walk along with Chef Ashbell's journey as well as his path to discovering the history of Hemmings. And I love this because, again, Hemmings, just the the hidden history that as uh, a white British writer and reader and recent foodie getting into this, um, I don't know any of the names, I have to say. I don't know any of the history... Um, from the States, from Europe. So it's great to come across different resources. Takara's got a great re- got a great website. There's a ton of different information there. So I'll put a link in the chef in the notes. And another I love uh, I want to hear more about Hemmings and I want to watch the um, documentary soon because he is said to have introduced or heavily influenced the current day preparation of ice cream. And I love ice cream, so Anyone that came up with ice cream, I think, is a great idea. So, James Hemmings, Ghost in America's Kitchen, the documentary is available. And it's a great starting point to begin exploration towards and appreciation of black culinarians' contribution to cuisine. So, there you go. And that's it for today. We had Anthony Bourdain, we had Meg Freer and her cup of tea, and we had um, James Hemmings and to Cara. So I hope this gives you some ideas. Go out, get yourself an Omnia oven, go camping, go baking, make some great food and share it with each other. All right. So take care and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. If you'd like to find out more about either Wanderlust Journal or myself and my books, you'll find the links in the episode notes below. That's saralimi.com and wanderlust-journal.com. It's all completely free. If you're interested in supporting the Wanderlust Journal and keeping it free for everyone who wants to publish, read or hear these travel stories, there is also a link to the Buy Me A Coffee page below. 